right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Colsey Butar, Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll be out at 6 o'clock, and that's when we'll get over to high school pregame coverage. Lawrence High taking on Derby, trying to take down the three-time defending state champions in sub-state. We'll have that game for you here on KLWN and KLWN.com with kickoff set for 7. Hank Booth, Sam Speck will be on the broadcast of that one. KU winning in basketball last night over Stony Brook, 88-59, to and Otag Baji continues to look really, really good. And I, I know that's very much not a new take or anything groundbreaking, but the more you continue to stack games like this together, which Ochai is doing right now, I think the more that you get any doubt in your mind that, hey, this is just a hot start or this was just a hot game and then there's going to be inconsistencies. The more you stack this together, I think the more you do feel like, no, this guy is a legit All-American candidate and dare I even say National Player of the Year candidate. Yeah, I, and the more ways in which he shows an ability to score, it's not just one way. Last night, I actually think he took 11 threes, which, if I'm not mistaken, is his, is his high watermark for threes taken this season in, in a small sample size, of course. But the amount of ways he is scoring is only going to serve him in the long run because you can't just pick one way to defend him. You can't just pick one thing to stop uh, because he'll attack you with something completely different. You know, as the guy is super into the NBA, I have to wonder if Ochai averages 25 points a game for the whole season, what does that do to his draft stock? Like, uh, you know, insane, meteoric rise, truly, if he performs mm-hmm. like he's performed the first couple games throughout the rest of the season. I already saw some scout people talking about that maybe he could be a late first-round pick. I mean, that was after the Champions Classic. If, if he keeps doing this, like I said, you keep stacking good performance after good performance – are we talking about Ochag Baji being a lottery pick? I mean, I know I know that sounds like a crazy rise from a guy who probably would have been like a mid to late second round pick last year. But if you just look at it from the standpoint of, okay, he is a 6'5 wing who has a 40 plus inch vertical, who can shoot threes at a very high level, who defends at a high level. And you already know 3 and D is is the common used term that NBA teams, all NBA teams, are looking for more 3 and D type of wings. And now you're starting to see that improved ball handling and attacking the rim and, like you said, scoring in multi, uh, many different ways. If this continues for Ochai, I'm not saying he is going to be a, a lottery pick or anything, but it wouldn't be out of the question. Derek, you and I talked the other day about what it you know a, a player might hear a coach uh, and and sometimes they might drown out that noise of what a coach tells them and along with an opportunity to go make a living in, in playing basketball leaving for the NBA combine also gives you a chance to hear from an NBA scout no you're not ready this 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 is is why 
And it looks like early on Ochai took whatever he was told by NBA scouts uh, that here's the list of things we don't think you're ready on and committed himself fully to, to changing that in the offseason. I, I think the, the thing, he looks so different coming off the bus now with those shoulders. Um, it's going. I mean, we kind of saw it against Stony Brook. Now, Stony Brook is athletically just an inferior team, but on that and one, and, and it was, you know, it was lucky that it went in. It was a, it was a fun shot, but those aren't always going to go in. But he that way, he's, he's able to throw his muscle around a little bit down low, and that matters a lot, and that's going to matter. Um, the big, I think another big test will come. They, they should, if both teams take care of the business they're supposed to on Thursday, they should be playing Alabama at one point next weekend. Um, and that's a top 15 squad. So that, you know, that'll be a big time test for him, but you know, he's, he's risen up and the Jayhawks have, um, none of their games in the last, you know, Oh, five minutes or so Michigan state wasn't really in doubt. The last five minutes, the last two games were never really in doubt. And, you know, and he's been the, the guy for every single one of them. And as Adam said, you know, he has put on uh, a little more muscle this season. I think he could still fill out really well. And if he does fill out really well, you know who he would remind me of? Uh, Jalen Brown played for Cal, now plays for the Celtics. That's exactly that kind of guy. Enormous vertical, about 6'5". And if uh, Ochai can fill out, then that's the kind of player he can be in the league. The reason that I bring up the draft stock, I mean, it's obviously not... I mean, it, it, it's a chicken and egg thing, right? It's, it's not that... If KU has Ochai being a first-round pick, it, it, that's not necessarily indicative that they had a great season. But if Ochai has a great season, he probably ends up being a first-round pick, which means KU would help. But I go back to that stat that I mentioned a couple weeks ago. I think 1986 Indiana was the last team who won a national championship in basketball and did not have a first-round pick in the NBA that, that next year. Now, and that even... Uh, the only reason that's the case is there were less teams in the NBA. Steve Alford was their highest picked player. He went in the second round, but he was picked 26th overall. Just there were less teams, which nowadays that would be a first round pick. So basically, whether it's because you're good and, and somebody gets vaulted up or somebody gets vaulted up because they're good and, and brings your team up, you need somebody to emerge to that. And I, I think Ochai is, is clearly doing that. Uh, I, I thought it was also interesting last night, Joseph Yesifu was the first guard off the bench in the second half. In the first half, it was Bobby Pettiford, Jalen Coleman-Lance. Those were the first two guys off the bench for the second strike game. Pettiford was the first lead guard off the bench. But in the second half, it was Joseph Yesifu who came off the bench first for KU. And I thought Joseph Yesifu was aggressive. He was attacking. I thought he looked more comfortable than he had been in previous games. And I just think all season long, that's going to be kind of something interesting to monitor with Joe Yesifu, Bobby Pettiford, and kind of that the backup guard role, who gets the most minutes and everything. I don't know if last night was more of Joseph Yesifu's playing better, so we're going to give him more run. Because let's make this clear, Bobby Pettiford still played more minutes, 20-16. to 16. Uh, but part of me wonders if it was more of just a trial run from Bill Self to say, hey, we know Jalen Wilson's coming back next week. Let's see as much as we can from him, give him his chances, as you mentioned yesterday, to kind of stake his final claim, or if it was more of an indication that he thought he played a lot better. I thought it was pretty telling that uh, Yesifu made, it was like two Two out of the out of three plays, he made a mistake on an inbounds play, mm -hmm. which uh, Self is is known across the country as one of the best at drawing up inbounds plays. 
be it from the sideline or the baseline. Um, and he messed up on a couple and self kept him in. It, to me, that kind of says he, the plan was to keep him in no matter what. Uh, that it was just go and you're in. And you know we don't we did we wanted to see what he you know he they, maybe they wanted to see what he looked like without the feeling of somebody you know looking over his shoulder at somebody to yank him. Um, and if that was the case, then then he got every opportunity that I think he could have asked for. Yeah, I think that's something important for uh, players that you're a little less sure of who are a little younger. You don't want them to be paranoid while playing, right? Because uh, suddenly you can feel like if you bobble that pass, if you blow that layup, if you uh, miss your rotation, that you'll get pulled. And that can psychologically destroy some people who maybe aren't ready uh, for getting pulled because when you go to KU, you are probably one of the best players in your high school, you know? Yeah, and I, I think that it's pretty clear. Again, Bobby Pedford still played more minutes, so I, I think he's still ahead of him on the depth chart. And Bobby Pedford, again, very impressive. Uh, a guy that you feel like is going to be that next future star for KU. It's just now we are in, uh, I guess, nut-cutting time, so to speak, with Jalen Wilson coming back for next Thursday um, in the game against North Texas in the ESPN Orlando Invitational Classic, whatever the hell it's called. Um, and... You try to figure out how this is all going to work, as we kind of have been this week. Something that I, I hadn't really considered until last night, and what kind of made me consider it is you had like kind of a, another slow start from Dave, who then picked it up. And I mean, at the end of the day, you look at the stat sheet and say, Eight "Holy points, cow, twelve boards in it? fifteen minutes!" Yeah. Like the the pure efficiency of that. He ended up having a, a good game. Is just first, I don't know, four or five minutes or whatever. Uh, he kind of struggled, but was the idea of, because we saw this last year, Jalen Wilson playing the five a little bit. And you felt like coming into this year, okay, well, you have so much depth at the five with Dave, with Mitch Lightfoot, with Zach Clements. You can play K.J. Adams there a little bit. Cam Martin, well, Cam Martin ends up redshirting. Um, and maybe you feel like there might be a little opportunity for Jalen Wilson to play some backup minutes at the five. So, for instance, because... As we were kind of alluding to this week, once Jalen comes back, if he's playing all his minutes at the four, that's basically sliding Christian Brown and Ochai away from any minutes at the four and taking more minutes away from kind of the two and three, which is therefore going to take away basically somebody is on the minutes chopping block between Bobby Pettiford, Joe Yesfu, Jalen Coleman-Lance, if not two guys. But here is a possible solution around that. If Dave were, because again, he only played 15 minutes last night. If Dave were to give you 20 minutes a game, obviously all at the center spot, Let's say Jalen gives you, because I think at this point, I I feel like Jalen Wilson is going to have a pretty vital role on this team. The way that Bill Self continues to talk about him and the way that uh, Bill Self continues to have glowing remarks and reviews about Jalen Wilson. And this is a guy who played 28 minutes a game last year. So if I put him at 30 minutes a game, but instead of putting that all at the four position, let's say he plays 10 minutes at the five. And that would leave you 10 more minutes at the five that you can split up between either all to one with Mitch Lightfoot or Zach Clements or five and five to each because we're seeing Zach Clements kind of start to come on as well. And I think at some point this year that'll happen, but that's not important for this. Um, if Jalen gives you 10 minutes at the five, now you only have 20 minutes of his at the four position. And that's going to open up to maybe play 20 minutes of Christian at the four, which again, furthers down the list and you go down the line and then it allows you, you know, oh, try to play more minutes at the three than the two. And I think that would allow you there to then maybe give about a, I don't know, 30 minutes divvied out between Jalen Coleman-Lands, 
Bobby Pettiford, and Joe Yesifu. And, and however that gets dished up, whether it's 15 to Jalen Coleman Lands, 15 to another guard, or uh, whatever, 15 to Jalen Coleman Lands, and, and 10 to Bobby Pettiford, 5 to Joe Yesifu, whoever has the hot hand or whatever, I think that is what's going to end up happening. And I think you're going to start to see maybe more of a vice grip coming on the center position to open up some more minutes for these other guys. What do you think is more likely to see? Like, what do we think? What do you think we see more of? Jalen Wilson at the five with Christian Brown or somebody else at the four or um, Jalen Wilson at the four with Lightfoot or Clements at the five. What do you think we see more of? I don't think we'll see any too big basketball. So no, I- no, 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 no. Or. So Jalen Wilson at the you, you don't think Jalen Wilson Oh I'm sorry. I thought you said Mitch Lightfoot at the four and no, uh, I, Zach no, Clements no, no. at the five. No, so I'm saying mm-hmm. so Wilson, you're saying we kind of make play small ball yeah, yeah. with Wilson at the five and somebody else at the four. Or what what do we see more of? That mm-hmm. or Wilson mm-hmm. at the four with some combo of non McCormick at the five. Clements or Lightfoot. I would say we see more of Jalen Wilson at the five than the other alternative. I mean, we've seen it just the last two games where KU has gone out and put KJ Adams at the five. And if you're just talking like height wise, KJ Adams and Jalen Wilson are the same height. Now, maybe KJ Adams is a little more built than Jalen Wilson, but Jalen Wilson has been renowned for his, I guess, lower body strength um, and his defensive rebounding ability. And he is a good shooter. So that would be a matchup problem. Whereas with KJ Adams, because he can't really shoot or do much offensively, like you don't see the offensive edges of playing him as a small ball five. So I think it would be more of Jalen at the five. And it's just weird the transgression I've gone through of originally thinking that he wasn't going to play any small ball five this year. But now I definitely think that's going to be in the cards. What is he? Is he 6'10 or 6'9? Jalen? Yeah. No, he's he's 6'7. What? I mean, he's listed, I think it's 6'8, but. You know, I thought he was like so six, he's nine. six six. Yeah, well, Jesus. actually, at the combine, it's funny you mentioned that he he measured at six 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 seven with shoes. But you play basketball. I mean, I'm a in huge shoes, so. proponent of small ball, so yeah. I, I like the idea of having your five be some guy who's you know six 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 seven. Uh, and just to make this clear, I'm not saying Jalen Wilson is the only like David McCormick is still going to lead the yeah, team yeah, in minutes yeah. at yeah, the five. It's, Right. Who's who's going to take up the minutes that he doesn't play? Yes. How are you gonna How are you gonna divide up those other twenty? And that's what a dangerous asking. other twenty if you have Jalen Wilson who can shoot, dribble, and drive, and let's say Zach Clements usurps Mitch Lightfoot to where your two backup fives that are can figuring out twenty minutes a game from that. Zach Clements who has a quick fire three ability in transition. He hits a couple threes last night with such a confident stroke. If that guy and Jalen Wilson. Are your two fives and your starting five is an all Big Twelve caliber player? Feel pretty darn good at that position. Yeah, it feels you insane. Just, you hope they're not going to have to spend any time defending offensively. They can stretch a, a big, big guy six ten mm-hmm. six. You know, more traditional, um, a, a more traditional big. They can stretch them defensively. You hope they don't have to spend a lot of time guarding. You know, a six ten six eleven. And and maybe that's just where, you know, the nuance happens here because we know we can sit here and and say these guys are all going to be in the rotation, but we know if there is a certain matchup, right? If you were playing West Virginia from a couple years ago, like there might be certain lineups you throw out there where KJ Adams is your four and Mitch Lightfoot is your five because you want to get extra size out there to to guard with rebounding. this year, West Virginia has no size. Exactly. So I'm sure some of it will be matchup dependent, but it's also... Important to know that, you know, they're matching up to you as well. It's not just you matching up to them. And so some of this, I think, 
will not even be matchup dependent where they just say, hey, we'll we'll do what they're doing. Some of it will just be, no, we just think we have better players than you. And uh, I don't know. I'm really interested to see what it does, the rotation, obviously. And I, I do think Jalen Wilson will be seeing some time at the backup five next week uh, against North Texas. All right. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's talk a little KU football taking on TCU tomorrow with Adam Dravetta, Colsey Debutar. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN weather from the KCTV5. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Colsey DeButar, Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back and member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, is going to join us in 15 minutes from right now talking some more KU football, but we'll get that conversation started right now. KU taking on TCU tomorrow. You can hear it at 3 o'clock here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Surprisingly, TCU has not been good on defense this year. They're uh, 93rd in ESPN SP+. They're also just ninth of the 10 teams in the league in yards allowed per game, rushing yards allowed per game, and they're giving up 34 per contest, which is up to 38 a game if you just count Big 12 games. In fact, the least amount of points that TCU has given up in a Big 12 game is 28 points. So KU, I would think, should be able to carve out some offensive success in this game. And especially given against a defense that has struggled against the run, this should be a nice game for Devin Neal. That uh, that the other thing around that is it could it could make for some very good sustained drives. Uh, you know, we the, last week against Texas, there were some drives where it was it was pretty you know equal passing to running, and and I tend to believe that running or that um, passing is a is a little more efficient, much more so in the pros when the athletic. You know, athletically, you're you're much more equal than you are, you know, to your competition than you are um, at the college level. But Kansas was able to put together some very sustained drives last week, and you need to run to do that, and that could be huge um, because Kansas's defense um, has not been their strength this season. They got four turnovers last week. They still allowed 56 points against what is a really potent Texas offense. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can if you can consistently score and have a lot of your drives be sustained, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think you gotta really try to grind TCU's defense into the dust here. You gotta, you know, probably run on first and second down as long as you're getting an okay yards per carry every time. Um, I think that Devin Neal's definitely a back who can get a ton of touches and still produce quite a bit. So that would be my hope that you just pound uh, the ball and give Devin Neal as many touches as humanly possible, really. And I think all of the offensive possibility in this game, when you combine a bad TCU defense, um, it becomes especially true if you execute like you did against Texas. That was such a good execution game. If you execute like you did against Oklahoma, that's the ultimate question. Can you be consistent? Can you do it on back-to-back weeks? But 
TCU does leave some vulnerability there, which is just weird because typically we are talking about them each and every season as one of, if not the best defenses in, in the Big 12. You think that's part of why they got rid of Gary Patterson? It might be. Not only are you not winning, but your specialty isn't even doing particularly well? It might be because you think back to a couple years ago, you know, they haven't been great the past handful of years, uh, but even when they're going 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, they still do have one of the best defenses in the Big 12. So now that that's not going anywhere, maybe that almost looks like slippage. Yeah, that's 100% would make sense. That's just one of those things that frustrates me about uh, sports in general, but like it feels a lot like college sports too, is you know I think that he, if he wants to go to a different university, I think he could go to a different university and be really successful as that defensive coach. I don't think it's fair to to throw this bad year with a with a poor defense as if he just forgot how to coach defensively, right? Like that that seems like the least likely uh outcome as opposed to the talent being poor and maybe some other, you know, uh institutional issues there. I'm I'm very curious what does happen with Gary Patterson. I'm sure he'll, he'll find another good job at like a you know, AAC school or something, and, and they'll be like 10-2 and two in a couple years. Um, but on the flip side is is where the issue is for KU coming into this one. TCU is 39th in offense on ESPN SP+. KU is 125th on defense. And all those stats I mentioned where, you know, TCU's 9th in total yards allowed per game or 9th in rushing yards per game. Well, guess who 10th is? That's Kansas. Um, TCU is very balanced, and... I, I don't know whether it's going to be Max Duggan or Chandler Morris at quarterback who took over for Duggan a couple weeks ago. I think Duggan was hurt, uh, but they've both been solid. You have a stable of running backs. Again, we heard uh, from Kevin Flaherty that they don't know if Zach Evans is going to go. He seems to be questionable. He's their team's leading runner, former five-star who's committed to Georgia, decommitted, then went to TCU. Uh, he's the team's leading runner, but they have a pretty balanced running attack and, and just a balanced team overall. So I'm I'm not really expecting a ton of success on this end. Because of the fact that you do have a balanced, solid TCU defense or offense against a KU defense that has really struggled all season long, in the end, to me, it just comes down to how many turnovers are you forcing? How chaotic are you going to be? Because that was the difference in the Texas game. The defense, as you mentioned, you still give up 56 points. If we just count regulation, you give up 49 points to Texas. But you know what you did? You got four turnovers. And on average, uh, Jesse Newell always totes this, I think a turnover on average in, in college football relays to about four points so if you can get or maybe it's four and a half if you can get you know two turnovers a game that you're projected to lose by three touchdowns all of a sudden on paper it becomes a game that's more of a 10 point game now you're in the game now it's competitive now you never know what's going to happen that's kind of the key to me yeah i do think turnovers can kind of come in waves not that any you know last week's we talked about weren't necessarily fluky but they do come in waves. I mean, as good as those strip sacks are, it's just as easy sometimes for an offensive lineman to fall on them. Um, and so it, those those will depend. You certainly can't rely on them, but I think Kansas showed they're they're capable of getting them when they're presented to them. Um, and, and you, but the other thing is, is you need to capitalize on turnovers, and, and they did that last week. They scored, and not just the pick six. They scored on offensive drives after turnovers too. Yeah, I would just worry about the sort of consistency of being able to produce turnovers, right? I don't think, obviously, anyone's really thinking we're going to uh, get four turnovers again. But, you know, is it closer to zero or is it closer to four? And it, it, turnovers just feel so random sometimes, mm -hmm. especially fumbles. Fumbles just feel 
awfully random depending on whether you could get the right punch, whether the guy was uh, turning around lazily, you know, all sorts of weird factors play into uh, something that's so consequential to the outcome of the ball game. Yeah, that's a good point. And like that, that's kind of the weird balance here. It's easy for me to sit here and say, you know, for KU to be competitive defensively in this game, they need to force turnovers, but also like that's not a, a game plan. You can't go into the game. Of course, you can, you know, say that. You can emphasize and be like, hey, we need to punch the ball out, and you can do stuff like that. But at the end of the day, because they are partially random at times, and, you know, some of it just comes organically from you playing well, not from, like, again, you you getting a strip sack isn't because of the fact that your coach told you, hey, go strip the football. It's because you made a good play to beat your offensive lineman to go sack the quarterback, and you got the ball out as well. Or getting an interception where you undercut the receiver because you had good coverage, you have to be around the ball to have a chance to intercept it. So uh, there's weird pieces here. It's just, for me, I guess basically what I'm saying here is the only way that I find KU's defense having success in this game is by forcing turnovers, and if that doesn't happen, it might be a long day for the defense. Uh, Go ahead. I I was just going to say, basically, like, to summarize all that, like the way I view this is just, I think this is going to be kind of more of the, in a league that has transitioned this year more to being actually a defensive league than an offensive league, I think this is going to be more of your maybe old-fashioned Big 12 shootouts. I was surprised. The line in this game for the over-under, take a guess. What do you think it is? 40, if I, I just told you that. How much? 45. You think the over-under is only 45? Yeah. I think it's like 56. All right. The correct answer is 64 and a half. Gee, okay. I... So the whole reason I said 45 is because I, I thought you were hinting that it was lower than we would have expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I guessed 45. Well, okay, so it's 64 and a half. I thought you were hinting it would be lower than expected. I just, I, I was very confused there. Um, So 64 and a half is the over-under here. And the least amount of points that KU has given up to an FBS opponent is 35. The least amount of points that I mentioned, again, that TCU has given up to a Big 12 opponent is 28. That right there already gets you to 63 of the 64 and a half. But I think it's more likely than not TCU scores in the 40s. I could see a world where Kansas gets to 30, 31 points. Now, even if the game's 45-24, the spread's 21 points, 45-24, you're hitting the over. I don't see a single way this game does not end up with the over. Maybe that's me jinxing it myself, but the way I view this game is is high explosion, high octane offense, similar to the Texas game, and the difference will be the turnovers, whether KU wins or not. Does the Texas game lose any luster if Kansas loses 45-10? to 10? Well, we're going to be, I mean, the game itself against Texas doesn't lose any luster, but certainly... Like that talk the arrow, of, oh man, they may actually win with an uptick. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, that goes away. And, and the talk of us going into the West Virginia game, the regular season finale on Senior Day, becomes less of oh they might have a chance, and it becomes more of well at least the Texas game was fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that we do still have a really good shot against TCU. Uh, the over under is really hot. It, it, well, I don't know. I mean. I feel like this game is more – I feel I think the opposite of you. You say high mm-hmm. octane. I think this is a perfect candidate for a game of ugly, ugly offense where we get a final score of like 17 to 20, something like that, where it's just a really ugly, grindy game. Adam, you going over, under, um, TCU spread, KU spread? I'm honestly kind of worried that – I I don't know. We'll, 
there's there's been they've talked a lot this week about how the players have been pumped up and excited. I am worried, man. I'm not going to lie to you that it's going to. This is like a, it'd be very easy to have a letdown. Yeah, and I'm worried that that we're going to be sitting here going, you know, like similar, you know, like similar to the K State game. Like you know, that was 35 to 10. I could see this being 30, 30 or, you know, 42 to 10, 38 mm-hmm. seven somewhere in there. I, I'm worried that that's going to be what happens. So you have the under in TCU. Yeah, Cole. I have the under in KU. Okay, I have the over and. I've gone back and forth on the KU-TCU thing. I'll, I'll just plant my flag on the over and TCU. I just have a trouble seeing the KU defense stopping TCU. And again, 49 points to Texas, even with the four turnovers. If you don't have the four turnovers, it's not just that you're scoring less points, but how many are they scoring at that point in time? And TCU's offense has been good enough that they could very easily score 40 or 50 in this game. All right, with Adam Dravetta, Cole Cedabutar, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, let's talk a little more KU football with Brandon McAnderson on the other side. This is RCST. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Joined now on a Friday by Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl when you're running back member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. Got an exciting call. Last weekend in uh, KU taking down Texas down in Austin. Uh, BMAC, did that win, uh, whether it's just something in, in relation to how exciting it was afterwards or if it's something that kind of relates to your time at, at KU when Mark Mangino was building things up, uh, did that win on Saturday for KU against Texas remind you of any wins that you guys had during your playing days? Honestly, it didn't. And I think the difference was, is you know, we had that year with Bill Whittemore which kind of fast-forwarded us. So we were kind of already felt like we belonged. But I think that this was a game where this kind of proved that they belong. You know, getting close against OU, I think, was rewarding. But at the end of the day, nobody's like, hey, remember that time we lost OU? You know, that's not kind of how it goes. You win a game like this, that kind of validates everything that they've been talking about in this program, everything that everyone here is committed to. I mean, it's hard to be much better than – Puka Williams in terms of uh, how how good you are at the running back position, but I sit there and watch Devin Neal week in and week out, and I just wonder, do you think Devin Neal is is maybe again, like I hate to make comparisons of just this player is better than that player or something, but do you think he might be more impactful than Puka Williams at the very least over the course of his, his college career with KU? I think that's the way to think of it, is to think a bit of it about as an individual his production has been through the roof. Another way to think about it is, you know, losing Puka, there was kind of like the feeling of like, man, when are we ever going to have another Puka? Maybe for another 10 years. Well, how about one year? <laughs> how, about, how, about, how about less than a year in terms of production? I'm like, I'm open to the idea that he's the best player on our team, and I think he is. And it's not just the way he plays. It's not just his production. But when they're, when they're fiery, when they're – when, they're, when they want to get after it, you look around, you see number four is leading a lot of those charges. So he's like more than just a productive freshman running back. He's taking on the role of team leader and productive running back and a lot of other things. So I don't know if you can compare him to, you know, Puka directly just because it's so different. But if you're looking for production, if you're looking for true freshman and you're looking for value, he's got it all. What do you think Devin's best skill has turned into these past couple of weeks or, or maybe developed uh, from where he began the season to where he is now? Well, that's the interesting part to me is I don't think there's anything that specifically stands out. 
you know, when he first started playing, he did it with pass pro. He was just good in pass protection, and that kind of earned him some early opportunities over Velton Gardner. But if you look at it now, I think he's just figured out how to use his whole skill set. You know, pad level, you know, I'm a Lawrence High guy, so I watched him every game in high school. Pad level was not a strength of his. I thought it was actually a weakness, and he's already flipped that. The vision stuff with young backs, especially fast ones like him, that's usually just something where you see daylight, you run to daylight, and then in college at this level you realize that ain't daylight because <laughs> somebody else is going to show up there. So we've already cleared that hurdle too. So I think it's just a matter of he's become comfortable enough in a really, really short period of time to where his full skill set is on display every game. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here. Uh, how much better has the offensive line been um, compared to early in the season and also in comparison to last year? So I think they've still been um, roller coaster in terms of performance. It's just that the, the dips and the lows aren't as low as the lows were uh, in the past. So the good example for me is I thought K-State and Oklahoma State played KU straight up, meaning you know low box numbers. They weren't overloading the box. They weren't having safeties of seven yards. And it wasn't as if the O-line played poorly, but really it was just a matter of they couldn't find a way to get seams to where the, the backs could do what they're used to doing. What they did against um, Texas was exactly that. So they used those low box numbers. They used those deep safeties to find creases. They were cohesive. They were physical. You know, good guy to look at in terms of what kind of game they're going to have. Is Earl Boston? Uh, he's had some games where he's looked like, oh, my God. And, that, and that's how he looked against uh, Texas. But then if you're just talking about in general, you know, LaPetti played some right tackle. With Cable Dew, both of those guys played well. Joey Gilbertson uh, stepped in and played from Malik Clark having some injuries and looked good. So, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just five guys. It was seven different guys. And I think they got the job done and improved in a way that has to leave every fan optimistic. I, I've said throughout the season and before the year, the biggest thing I wanted to see was a competent offensive line, not just because, you know, in general that's going to lead to more success, but – I think also because as we look at year one of Lance Leipold, you're trying to evaluate certain things, and it's almost impossible to truly diagnose what you have at, for instance, the quarterback position if you can't block like last year where you're giving up five sacks a game. It just becomes impossible to figure out like who is the best guy. You're not really getting, I guess, a fair shake at that point. Um, so how much of Jalen's success that came on Saturday do you think has to do with better offensive line play and – in what ways beyond that did he look a lot better in year two with the program than last season? Well, I think it's almost unfair to evaluate him at all as a quarterback last year. He didn't have time to think about throwing the balls downfield, let, about, <laughs> let alone actually do it. So, But what I do think you see is that his confidence and his belief have amplified, and now he has the time to do things that his skill set would allow him to do. We already knew about his strong arm. We already knew about his leadership skills. But now he just has time to do it. So I think this is – I don't – I think you throw out everything you thought you knew about Jalen Daniels and you start new because everything you're seeing is new. And the offensive line has a lot to do with that. His ability to sit and watch and, and get some experience that way has a lot to do with it. So there's a lot of contributing factors, but it's impossible to hold any aspect of his freshman season against him. I'm sure this is obviously very dependent on the individual player and everybody kind of develops at their own rate. Um, but I'm curious, uh, and I also don't know like if, if this is a question that differs based on position. 
when you saw uh, other quarterbacks go through this when you were playing or, or when you just watch back quarterbacks now, do you typically find like one year that they have the biggest jump? Is it freshman to sophomore? I, I don't know what it was for like you specifically. Again, if if that's different for running backs than quarterbacks, for instance, and again, it's probably different for for everybody dependent on on who they are. But uh, when is that biggest jump usually for quarterbacks? I think that first to second year is a big jump, but I also think there's an element of success that goes along with the jump. So you can believe that you can do something. Like, you can know in your heart, but not ever have the opportunity to prove that you can do it. And that's, you know, a good example of that is someone like Rich Miller. Rich Miller is a guy who, at Buffalo, was a special teams player and a backup. And now, for us, he's an Ironman, do-everything middle linebacker. And, and I asked him, you know, is this something that you expected? He said, absolutely. I just didn't have the opportunity to show it. I think that goes along, too, with quarterback, you know, because you only play one of those guys. And you may not have the opportunity or the surrounding elements to prove your skill level and your ability to perform. So there's a lot that goes into it, but that first to second year really allows them to get comfortable. But I can't even use that with Jalen because usually that comfort is about familiarity with the system. But, I mean, he's only known the system since May, just like everybody else. (laughs) So it's not a knowledge thing. I think it's just better play around him. And I think there'll be an even bigger jump as he gets more comfortable in this offense. TCU is the opponent this week down in Fort Worth for KU. What, uh, and just studying TCU, do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for KU playing the Horned Frogs? So they, their quarterback's a good little jitterbug type that's a, that's a good player. Um, he has some injury stuff, but I think he's going to play. They've got good backs, always have good O-line, always competent and competitive on defense with speed and players, you know, all over the field. I don't think they pose a specific challenge to KU. I mean, it's, I think it's just like any other game. They're obviously going to be very good. Um, but there's nothing I see specifically that they do that I say, oof, that could give us trouble, other than, you know, normally just having good players. And they definitely do have that. Uh, before we get into game picks here, your Chesty Lions, as you mentioned, they're playing in Substate. They're taking on Derby tonight. We have it here on KLWN at 7 o'clock. Do you have any uh, any words for Lawrence High or any uh, uh points of excitement that have gone on with their uh, deep playoff run? Plenty. You know, this was, you know, by roster was supposed to be a rebuild year. You know, I think they lost 20 starters from the previous season. So the expectations were pretty low, but what they've been able to do is play sound football on defense and then try to figure it out on offense. And if you watch any of that free state game, you know that this isn't the derby of the last four or five years that, you know, had so much talent outside, so much talent on the backside uh, of the defense and offense. That's not what they are. They're a good offensive line with a very good back and then some solid defenders. I think they're a team that the Chesky Lions can beat. And if you look at that free state game, those two goal-to-go opportunities that they miss, that's likely a, a chance to win for them as well if they're able to get any points or maybe one of those touchdowns goes their way, they would have had a chance to win the game. So I like the matchup for them, and I love the way they play defense. I think it will give them a chance against anybody. All right, we're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. On to this week's game picks. You're sitting right at 500, 52 and 52 on the year. You are 28 and 27 in college football. First up, number seven, Michigan State is playing at number four, Ohio State. The Buckeyes are giving up 19. Man, that's a lot of points to cover. I, I don't think they'll cover, but I think they'll win. Number 10, Wake Forest is on the road against Clemson. It's the Tigers unranked who are favored by four and a half. I like Wake Forest. Iowa State is playing at number 13, Oklahoma. The Sooners are giving up three and a half. I like Iowa State. What did you make of the uh, end of that 
Oklahoma Baylor game from last week, if like how would you have felt if you were on the opposing sideline to where Baylor was? I don't I don't know if you saw what happened because you were probably getting ready for the KU Texas broadcast. Uh, are, are you aware with the the late field goal situation? Yeah, I saw that they had a late field goal to go up over ten. Like I don't really think about that kind of stuff. I, when I think about it, I'm a true I'm a true competitor at heart. And I cannot control what the other people do. And if I don't want them to score, I have plenty of opportunities to do something about it. Number 21, Arkansas, is at number two, Alabama. The Crimson Tide are giving up 20 and a half. I like Alabama. Number three, Oregon, is on the road against number 23, Utah. The Utes are giving up three points. I like Oregon. And on to the NFL, where you are 24-25-1 on the season. First up, Indianapolis is at Buffalo. The Bills are giving up seven. Like the Bills. Green Bay is giving up a point playing Kirk Cousins and Minnesota on the road. Ooh, I like Minnesota. Cincinnati is at your Raiders. Las Vegas is giving up a point. This, who knows? <laughs> Raiders. <laughs> it. it my my co-host believes that your Raiders are about to go into one of the uh, classic from the past couple of years tailspins midway through the season. Are are you worried that is happening right now? I'm worried for a different reason. The tailspin in the past was due to performance, due to you know being able to protect against the weaknesses. This just honestly feels like an exhausted emotional team, and I don't see them being able to pull themselves out of it. Okay, Dallas is taking on Kansas City. The Chiefs are two and a half point favorites. I'm going to go with Dallas because the Chiefs keep burning me. Pittsburgh is at L.A. The Chargers are giving up six points on Sunday Night Football. Chargers have been weird, too. I like Pittsburgh. All right, that is Game Picks with Brandon McAnderson. BMAC, before we let you go, our next segment is Cole's Big Three, where he goes over some of his favorite NBA storylines right now. Do you have a favorite NBA storyline going on right now or something you just want to bring up? Um, I am having a whole lot of fun watching Steph Curry do things no one else has ever done. And the question becomes, like, he's showing no signs of slowing down. How long is this going to last? And if you start thinking about it that way, it's getting pretty scary. But the dude's just one of a kind. All right, he's Brandon McAnderson. You can hear him tomorrow. KU taking on TCU in Fort Worth. He's on the Jayhawk Radio Network. You'll hear him on the sidelines. And in pregame, kickoff at 3 o'clock, pregame at one thirty here on KLWN. BMAC, thank you so much for the time, as always, and have a good weekend. All right, man, have a good one. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson joining us as he does every Friday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Adam Dravetta, Cole C. DeButar, I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. One hour down, two to go. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Four o'clock hour with Cole C. Butar, Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. We'll have our game picks for you in about 35 minutes. And the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joins us. At the top of the five o'clock hour, but as Very we do, deep voice of the Jayhawks, by the way, beautiful. Voice. I love that man's voice. Yeah, like I loved Bob Davis. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I always love the joke that there are three people in this world who are convinced that the Morris twins never committed a foul at, at KU. <laughs> Two of them are the Morris twins, and the other one is Bob Davis. And by the way, I actually I'm glad you brought this up because circulating around has been the Texas Tech announcers who Those got suspended. Guys. I 
do you think Bob Davis is fortunate that he? No, because Bob Davis actually always did a good job of okay. using. Like he would clearly be upset. Like you would occasionally get that. I can't believe. I think what did in the Texas Tech is guys naming was them, naming yeah. them up because you're clearly asking for. At the ver- at the very least, you are hoping they get harassed. Yes, at the least. And Bob Davis never did, went that far. And the other thing I think Bob Davis was good at is if he disagreed with the with the call, he used himself as a microphone for Bill Self or the well the fans sure don't like that one. <laughs> like yeah. that would be Bob Davis. Yeah. So I, I loved Bob Davis, but Haney just has a good voice, man. We were talking about uh, top 10 ideas during the break. Here's yeah. one. Top 10 adjectives to describe Brian Haney's voice. Smooth. Can we do that sometime? Luscious. <laughs> Luscious. This is going to get weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the point. <laughs> All right. Let's get to our uh, segment with Cole. It is called Cole's Big Three. He's going to give us three of his favorite headlines, storylines, stats of going on in the NBA right now. All right. Number one. For Cole's Big Three for uh, November 19th, 2021, Steph Curry is by far the greatest shooter of all time. Here's a great stat that's been floating around the internet for the past couple days. Steph Curry has 37 games where he has made nine or more three-pointers. The next highest players in NBA history in that stat are Damian Lillard and James Harden, who are tied for second place with nine games each. I want to say this. The, what I love more than that is he's got more than the next five players combined. It's just insane. Steph Curry, 37 point, or Steph Curry, nine three point shot games is like America's military budget. <laughs> it is so far ahead of everybody who's behind it. It's it's incredible. <laughs> Damian Litter and James Harden are the UK and China. Yeah, yeah, analogy. yeah. All right, number two, 10. That's how many games the historically awful 2016-76ers won. They went 10-72. and 72. A rookie on that team was UNLV's Christian Wood. And now Christian Wood is on a much, much worse team somehow. Good for he him. He is on this year's Rockets, who are on pace to break the losses record. They are 1-14, which puts them on pace for between five and six wins which would shatter the full season record that was set in 1973. I got to say, I'm terrible at my job, and I am by far dragging this entire station down, but I am getting paid less than Christian Wood. (laughs) So as far as a person who drags the people around him down, uh... You know they're getting. He's getting a lot of bang for Christian his buck, Wood, dude. He's Christian not bad. I'm just look okay. I'm just, no, no I'm, I'm, he's, I'm, he's, yeah, yeah no. he's 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 fine. He's not the reason those those teams happen. It just yeah. he happens to humorously be a, a common link. I mean, he, know, he, it's not because of him. He he definitely might have contributed in the the Sixers one. He was a rookie who uh, he only played 17 games, eight and a half minutes a game. Um, uh, but yeah, he's been a solid player. Kind of broke out a couple years ago with the Pistons when he averaged 13 and six. Signed a big deal with the Rockets last year. He averaged 21 and 10. Yes, a little of that is is empty calories when you're doing it on a bad team. He's averaging 16 and 11 this year. Again, a little bit of empty calories doing it on a bad team, but it still takes something to Ooh. do that. He, he's a fine player. It is unfortunate. You know what the comparison for him is? Is Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell is the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Right now, they're 0-8-1, and, and there is a real possibility that the Lions Eating end kneecaps. up 0-16-1. That's the correct guy, that they end up 0-16-1. and 1. 
He was also a player on the Detroit Lions team that went 0-16. What was the, uh, wasn't there a, a guy that like he got fired, then his team won the national championship and they went all the way back and like the year after he graduated, his high school team won a state championship or something like that? I don't know. I feel bad. I, I it's that, that bit is Poor way guy. less funny with, I, when I, with me not knowing the name of the guy, but I was actually, you, that was interesting. You compared him to a, a Detroit sports figure. I was going to compare him because you mentioned good productivity on a bad team. And I can't believe I can't remember his name because there's an NBA legend. But who was the big man for those Pistons World Champions? Um, ben, ben Wallace. No, no, for the, for the 90s with Isaiah Tyler, Lambeer. late 80s. Bill Lambeer. Bill Lambeer played up for a terrible Cavs team, and it was kind of his level of productivity and his fight in him, uh, despite playing for a bad team that was often getting blown out that attracted him to the Pistons GM that brought him to Detroit from the beginning. So Christian Wood is going to end up on the Warriors this so he's year. He's going to go and for win him. a back-to-back -back world championship. Yeah. Steph Curry will hit nine threes every game in, in the finals. Christian Wood will end up winning a championship, and the Rockets will go from on pace for six wins to three wins without Christian Wood. Alternatively, uh, if in 20 years you're looking for a coach and Christian Wood is looking for a job, don't give it to him. It's, yeah, it's that's what you're good. saying. There's something yeah. about him. Yeah, it, it's like it's not you, Christian, but it's definitely not me it's either. You know, it's, it's, exactly. Yeah, something right. smells on you, man. Yeah, right. it's, it's not something you can wash off. All right, number three, the iconic Staples Center, one of the most iconic arenas in America after Madison Square Garden, uh, home to some of the most clutch shots in basketball history, some of the greatest knockouts and boxing matches I've ever seen in my life getting renamed to the crypto.com arena uh lots of lots of hate from it from nba players nba fans people in la what's okay, the so, worst company that could rename a stadium though? well first of all what what this sounds stupid i i honestly don't know what is crypto.com is that just a place so where you can it, buy cryptocurrency? Yeah, you can, yeah exactly you okay. can buy and sell cryptocurrency i don't know do you guys have an answer i have one well i mean enron once once ran a bit once mm. owned had the naming rights to uh the astros which is that? The, is that Tropicana now, or is it Minute, Minute Maid? I get. Wait, there's two Tropicana's Orange Tampa. Uh, Tampa. Okay, yeah. yeah. So there's Orange Juice. There's Orange Juice companies running a couple or with naming rights. <laughs> Orange a couple Juice baseball is the stadiums. secret puppeteer behind all of sports. So Minute Maid is um, is Houston. At one point, the Astros played at Enron Field, and you two are too young. Um, I was kind of weird from a from a young young age, about third or fourth grade. I took on this this enormous fascination with the stock market. And so I was, I was like 12 when that Enron stuff went down, and I was transfixed by it. Um, and they, they were just. But they're um, out of business now, right? Well, out of business. So imagine they're if awful human beings. They came back, and it was like let en them out of business. Enron Part Two Arena. But no, I mean, so what? My point is, Enron might already be like they might be the leader in the clubhouse for the worst company to have naming rights. Um, Smoothie King Arena is funny. Uh, there's controversy behind Amway, who, who runs. Or at one point, they were years and years and years ago. They were accused of being a pyramid scheme. They've since kind of changed. Are they the knife guys? No, that's Cutco. Oh, okay. Amway sells various products, um, but that that is all done. That was that was a long time ago that Amway had to deal with that. So please don't sue me. Um, but <laughs> I think Crypto.com is about as bad as it gets. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Derek, what about you? 
Well, okay. I, I mean, the the easy answer would be just think of something like inappropriate in your mind and be like, oh, that's you know, or like put a cuss word in there. There's but, like, a certain that's store. Not- there's a certain store uh, for you and uh, your significant other to visit right there on Twenty Third Street. Yeah, but like I, I mean more trash than that because like if you called it if you called it Cirilla's Arena, like. You know, that doesn't sound, you'd just be like, oh, well, what's Cirilla's, right? It's where fun and fantasy meet, of course. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you called it the fun and fantasy arena, right? <laughs> like, that would be. But here's mine, which is more of a, I guess, subtle way. This game isn't fun. Lead me to the fantasy section, please. Okay, what if one of the the teams in Florida, because this is where it is. I don't know what city this actually happened in. The um, massage parlor that Robert Kraft went to. <laughs> <laughs> Orchids of Asia, Asia Spa. Stadium. Arena, arena, I think that yeah, the whatever. Tampa Bay naming rights are cheap enough that they could buy uh, the rights to Tropicana. And uh, yeah, I don't know what right? RF, could you imagine? RFK right now? I don't know what it is, but that I think that's the best one that I could think of. By the way, when we're on the uh, the topic of like names of stadiums, can we just like think of a, a more creative name? And I, I get it, like you know. Kansas is Memorial Stadium. Can, can we think of a different name? There's like 19 Memorial Stadiums. Well, yeah, but they're all. I think the reason they want to keep that um, is because they're all named. They're they're memorializing the same thing, and that's World War One. Which I don't know if you're a history buff, Derek, but that was a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I like. I get it, but I don't know. I, I don't want to go too deep into this. I, I understand just, what you mean. There's a there's. Why can't there just be when one Memorial Stadium, we have right? Some high school friends. It just and gets I, confusing. You're yeah. like, hey, where are you playing? Memorial, Memorial Stadium. Stadium. It's like, which one? Was, you know, w- when I was uh, when um, when Kansas was really good under Mangino, that was during the Bill Callahan years in Nebraska, and they were really bad. Well, bad by Nebraska standards. They were. I think he had one winning season. Anyway, we used to give um, a heap of garbage to my friend who was from Omaha and thus a big Huskers fan. And every time, every week, when the Huskers would lose and when KU would win, particularly if KU had beaten Nebraska, we would relentlessly just know this. We're in the real Jayhawks playing the real <laughs> Memorial Stadium, the real one. Could I get a clarification from uh-huh. you? Yeah. Um, is Adidas the official apparel sponsor of the university? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I can make this joke. Um, uh, the name that I came up with uh, pays respect to our fallen heroes. Uh, those true, uh, heroic, beautiful souls. It is a Nike Child Slave Memorial Stadium. Mm, yeah. Can't All right, there. Go to yours now. All right. That'll do it for that segment. This is Cole's Big Three on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, let's talk a little Chiefs Cowboys. That on the other side. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney with us in 40 minutes. We'll have our game picks coming up next. Cool C. Butart, Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is our CST on KLWN. So the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Dallas Cowboys. It is an afternoon game on Sunday. Some uh, news down the line about, I don't know, half an hour ago Joe or so. and Troy Aikman on the call. That's right. Amari Cooper is not going to be called by Joe Buck on the game. He is out with covid for the game, and that's obviously a big loss for the Cowboys. He is one of the, I mean, he's not like in that, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams level receiver, but he's probably on like that next tier, like a really good wide receiver for the Cowboys. So certainly a big loss, but they still have plenty of dudes, obviously, with guys like C.D. Lamb, and I think Michael Gallup's back now. Well, I was going to say, I mean, when you think about when the Chiefs had Sammy Watkins, 
Think about how valuable any given receiver was, even if he wasn't piling up stats, just as somebody that the defense had to focus on. Yeah. You so almost kind of wish. It's a big loss. You kind of wish this news would have come in on Monday. Not that, I mean, look, it's just a football game. I hope Amari Cooper doesn't get really sick. But if he's going to miss this game from a strategy standpoint, you wish it would have come in on Monday because they spent the, the week planning on it, playing against him. Let's say the Chiefs defense goes out there, and albeit again now without Amari Cooper, and we've seen them perform well in recent games, you know, performing well against the Giants and the Packers and last week against the Raiders. If the Chiefs goes out, uh, go out there and play well defensively again, what do you think we're going to be talking about come Monday? Oh, I think we'll be pretty well, especially if it results in a victory. I think that'll be if 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 the defense plays well, um, like holds them to twenty one points even, and the the Chiefs still lose. I think we'll be back to talking about oh man, that offense was just a a one you know a one hit wonder because the Raiders refused to change their defensive schemes. That will be more the story if the defense plays well and the Chiefs win. I mean, I think Amari Cooper's a big piece of that offense, but Dak is playing like a legitimate top five quarterback now I don't know if he'll have the consistency to be considered a top five quarterback for the entirety of his career but in 2021 Dak Prescott's a top five quarterback and if they if they make him feel it um that's going to be huge yeah I would just worry about how I feel about this team if the defense plays pretty well you know holds Dallas to 24, 28, something around that. I'd feel comfortable with that. But then if Mahomes throws another like two picks or something and there's a there's, you know, the dropped passes, the just missed timing on offense, I think that'll still just be this big conversation where it's like, can we uh make the playoffs and or can we even have a chance to win the wild card game if Mahomes is so off, you know? Yeah, I I just am really interested with this defense because I think even if they do lose this game, but the defense plays well, you're not going to be feeling better, certainly. Like, at the end of the day, you're just going to feel better if it's a win. You're going to feel worse if it's a loss, right? Um, but I think they're – I mean, this is one of the best offenses in the NFL. Dak Prescott's been really good. I mentioned all the weapons they have on the outside. Obviously, they have a good running game, good offensive line. If the defense goes out there and plays good, to me, it, it would almost be confirmation that the defense has gotten better because I, I think it's easy to – sit there and, and point to the defense's improvement. Obviously, like, you have to get better because in, in games past, like we saw against the bad Eagles offense, they still put up 30 points. So it's clearly an improvement to play a bad offense and still hold them down, which you have been doing. But there still are questions because while the defense has looked better, it, it's almost like, well, how much of it is the defense getting better and how much of it is the opponents? Because when I mention all those names again, we're talking about Daniel Jones with the Giants. We're talking about Jordan Love with the Packers, who looked really bad. And we're talking about a Raiders offense, which has shown to be over the past, you know, I guess Derek Carr regime to be very inconsistent, yeah. to say the least. Although so, I do think now they did have rugs last year. Yeah. But I think it felt really good. Um, and and look, the, the rugs caveat matters a lot, but I think just in general it felt good for that defense because even in even in one of the games that the Chiefs won last year, the Raiders torched the Chiefs yeah. last year. They put up 71, 72 points. Didn't they? Was I think seventy one points? Up forty in the win. Yeah, right? seventy one points in two games last year. Yeah. It, was, it was a forty to thirty two win for the Raiders, and then I think a thirty five thirty one win mm -hmm. in Vegas for the Chiefs. So, I mean, they averaged 35 points a game against the Chiefs last year, 
yeah, they didn't have rugs, but I, to me, that that was the defensive performance that almost confirmed things. Now, is this now keeping in mind, of course, that 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 Browns team was a healthy Browns team in Week One. Keeping that in mind, is this the best offense that the Chiefs have faced this year? I would, I would say, say so. yes. Yeah. I mean, if, if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, maybe argue them. But statistically, the Cowboys have been a better they, offense. They've been really good offense. Than the Packers with, with Aaron Rodgers. So I would say yes to that. I mean, the Ravens might be the other yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, the Bills are, are the yeah. Bills. They're good. Bills are the Bills. But, so, I mean, it's, it, you know. It's up there. It's by far the best defense that they've uh, played, best offense they've played since, since this defense has kind of, in our eyes, woken up a bit. And there's some things where it's like, well, the Bills' offense on paper looks like really, really fantastic. But Stephon Diggs, who was, uh, in my opinion, like the second best receiver in the league last year, has had a terrible season. Uh, isn't catching um, a lot of deep passes like he was uh, the previous season. And uh, but when on paper and on the field, the Cowboys' receiving core is fantastic. It really is. Uh, a boon to our defense that they don't have to deal with how dynamic uh, Amari Cooper is. And it's it's funny because at one point, like if they do play well defensively, that will definitely be a talking point that oh, but Amari Cooper wasn't there. But at the same point in time, there still is so much there for the Cowboys. You got to stop it. No, it has yeah. the, the kicking the can down the road has to stop at some point. And yeah. I was I felt it after Daniel Jones. I felt it after Jordan Love. To an extent, I still get it after Derek Carr since they lost Rugs, and I I flat said before the Chiefs game, and I still feel this way. I think the Raiders, with what they've gone through this year, are toast. I think they're they're I don't know that they're going to win more than one game for the rest of the year. I think they're re- going to be really bad for the rest of the season. So I'm willing to sit here and say, you know, t- there's been a yeah, but at some point the yeah, but look, man, I look. But I think that's what I'm saying with this. The yeah, but has to stop. This is when the yeah, but stops. Even without right? him, even without him, with the, without this Cowboys Cooper, offense, like I said, I, it is yeah, still if so they, good. If they hold them to 17, 21, right. something, like that, I think the yeah, but stops. Yeah, that, and I'm agreeing with you there. If this is the game where you get the confirmation that the defense truly is, I guess, quote unquote, fixed. Now on the other side of the ball. Dallas is third in the NFL in interceptions forced. They are fifth in total takeaways from their defense. So their defense forces a lot of turnovers. Obviously, Chiefs have had a lot of concerns in the turnover department. And going back uh, to that same question about, you know, the validity of the defense, what will we be talking about with the defense um, on Monday if they perform well, what would make you feel better about this team? Let's say in both scenarios they win. So you don't have to worry about that. Both scenarios, they win. Would it make you feel better if it was a win after having no turnovers or a win in which you won because of a strong defensive outing despite a couple turnovers? Well, I mean, I, I, I'd i like to see more offense. Um, I maybe Like, I, I would probably feel better if it's 38-35 than I would if it's 21-17 or something crazy like that. Uh, because I I guess maybe because I've seen enough of this of this defense to make me feel decent about them. Uh, I think the Cowboys coming in, it's been everyone talks about the 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 cover deep the 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 two deep shell that has given the, the Chiefs fits this year, and there's a lot to that. But I think more than just a two deep two deep shell, what Tampa showed in the Super Bowl last year, uh, granted with a horrid offensive line for the Chiefs because they were so banged up is that if you can get to Patrick Mahomes with four guys, you've got it 
made. And that's been added. The, the difficulty for the Cowboys doing that has been added because they're missing um, their two primary edge rushers. Mm-hmm. And so getting after Mahomes with four guys just became a lot harder for the Dallas Cowboys. And so if they if they have to dial up a bunch of blitzes, which uh, Mahomes has historically torn apart. I mean, everybody talked about after that Ravens game, though the Chiefs still put up 35 points, the Ravens finally backed off on their blitzes, uh, and the Chiefs kind of had to. It had some shaky drives there. If the Cowboys have to dial up a heap of blitzes and Mahomes isn't able to dissect those the way he has in the past and get rid of the ball quick, is when you look at his stats, getting the getting rid of the ball within two seconds versus two or, two or more seconds. Um, it's night and day. So if he's getting quick throws off and they're still struggling, I'm going to go back to being um, somewhat worried Worried in the sense that I, I uh, would question whether or not this is a real title contender. Because if they were on a path right now, I'm not ready to sit here and say um, we're far enough down this path for me to say, yeah, they're back to being world championship contenders. But they're starting on the path. I think a win gets you there. Yeah, yeah. it gets you real close. I got to see uh, a zero turnover game. That that's my perspective on it. Here's the deal. Our defense Even, was- what if it was like just to add the caveat Cole, what if it's like last week when the turnover was special teams? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That that that's And they're fine. still able to put but up a, a bunch of points. What I'm talking about is I want I want to see that Chiefs offense because the fact is is that in 2018 our defense was bottom five and we are a coin flip away from making the Super Bowl this team is good enough that they don't need to play this crazy high level of defense uh to make the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl again uh so I really think that to me the important thing is can we still have an explosive offense last week was very uh not hopeful, but it provided a lot of hope, and yeah. uh, I just hope that we can do something like that again. That's what I would aim for. I think going back to the defensive side of things for me, when I look at the Cowboys, so they've played nine games, they're seven and two. They have scored thirty-five or more points in five of those nine games, so more than half the time they're scoring thirty-five. And this is what's interesting: in all that talk I was having about if the defense plays well, it's confirmation that the defense is better in playing well. It's it's not. Like, like the opposite of that and the Chiefs giving up 31 or 35 points or 38 points to the Cowboys, I don't think is about, like, I, I would not come away with it unless the Cowboys scored like 45, 52, saying, oh, well, not only is that not confirmation that the Chiefs defense is fixed, but the Chiefs defense is straight up, like, terrible again. I think I would just chalk that up if you give up 35 points yeah, to saying— If they're hanging around their season average. Yeah, exactly. The Cowboys are just that good of an offense. So on one hand, it would be a little disappointing because this is that opportunity for you to confirm that the defense is a lot better and can win you some games when maybe the offense isn't fully clicking. But because of the fact that I just have so much faith in the Cowboys and I don't think there's much the Cowboys could do even in a good offensive game that would make me feel that much worse about the Chiefs defense just because of how good Dallas is. For me, I'd rather see the no turnover game and I'd rather see them win, like you said, 35-31 with no turnovers where the offense gets rolling and it wasn't a great game for the defense, but we can more so point to the idea that it was just a really good offense you were playing against. Yeah, and it would show that the, I mean, I think we've had enough moments where we saw this defense is at least capable of playing at a fine level, if not a great level, a fine level. Um, I think we need more 
opportunities to see this offense play at a great level. All right. With Cole C. DeButar, Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll get to our game picks next on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About 20 till 5, voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joins us next with Colsey DeButar, Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson, here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. And you can always check out our best of RCST podcast, which if you're listening to this, say hi to the future for me. Uh, we're going to get to our game picks now. Adam, you are 41 and 28 on the year. You are the leader champion at the moment. I'm 58 and 46. BMAC, as we mentioned earlier, 52 and 52. Cole, you are 42 and 47. But we start as always in college football. Adam, you are 21 and 14 after a three and two week. Cole, you are 18 and 27 after a two and three week. And I am 28 and 27 after a stinky one and four week. First up, number seven, Michigan State is at number four, Ohio State. The Buckeyes are giving up 19 points. That's a lot of points, man. Yeah, for a top seven showdown. I don't know. I had so many points. I give I I'm I wouldn't touch this game because I can see I can really see a scenario where this thing's 48-24. Um but that I don't want to. It's so much disrespect to Michigan State, man. Um, just give me a real slap. I, I I have to pick so Ohio State, but I don't feel good either way about this game because I can see a scenario vividly where it goes either way. Man, I love how much parody is in the top ten of college <laughs> yeah, football, no the greatest sport on earth. <laughs> um, I think I'm gonna go Michigan State because I think this would be like if the Final fun. Four came around and it was two one seeds and it was like, right. yeah, this team's favored by 37. <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like. Um, so I think I gotta say that 19 is just too much. Uh, but Ohio State's like really good. They're so good. So I, I I'm gonna pick Michigan State because I don't know the the line makes me too worried. Right. That's so many points. My goodness. Um, I just went to check because you brought that up, Adam. Remember 2015, Kentucky undefeated against Wisconsin. Even that was a six-point line with an undefeated Kentucky team who looked unbeatable. I I guess I'll go Michigan State. Like Again, I would not actually be betting this. Um, Both these teams have elite offenses. The thing that scares me the most in this one, Michigan State's passing defense has been very suspect so far this year. Uh, In the loss to Purdue, you gave up over 500 passing yards. David Bell torched the defense. Now, David Bell is a phenomenal receiver. Here's the problem. Ohio State has three of those guys. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is a sophomore. He'll probably be like a first-round pick when he's draft eligible. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson will be first or second-round draft picks, probably this upcoming draft. C.J. Stroud is a young freshman quarterback. He's been good. He's been a little inconsistent at times, but because he has such great weapons around him, it just sometimes doesn't even matter. The passing game for Ohio State, point blank, is elite, and... That scares me in this one that makes me think Ohio State's going to put up a lot of points. The flip side to this, 
Ohio State hasn't really been tested on the defensive side of the ball. Defense has been a lot better over the past five or six weeks since they gave up. I think they gave up like 400 and something rushing yards in their first two games. They gave up like 300 to Oregon. And since then, they've only given up like 500 over the last five or six. How much of it is them improving versus them playing kind of an easy schedule outside of, I guess, Penn State and and Purdue? Um, Michigan State has some dudes on offense that can get it going, including Kenneth Walker, who might be the front runner for the Heisman right now. So I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I would take the over in this game and feel good about that. What is it? I don't know. I'd blindly bet it. Um, <laughs> I, but I, I'll go Michigan State. No reason other than I just think that maybe because it is high-scoring, you can work your way into like a backdoor touchdown at the um, end of the game. What? Do you have a time on this one? It's a morning it game. It's 11 it a.m. Okay, that actually makes me feel a little better because I have that theory that you guys have heard. Um, I'm going to repeat again. Road teams at 11 a.m. Uh, 11 a.m. games for road teams typically are difficult. By the way, the over-under is 69 and a half. So nice. I would gladly take that. You know, 45-31, boom, you're there. Uh, number 10, Wake Forest at Clemson. The Tigers are giving up four and a half. I said weeks ago, and I'm not going to back off this, I thought Clemson was going to give Wake Forest their humbling. I'll be honest with you, I feel worse about that than the day I said it because Clemson is not impressed at all. Uh, you said it was four? Yeah, four I, and a half. I think, yeah, and Clemson's laying it, right? Mm-hmm. I think Clemson wins by at least a touchdown, so give me the Tigers. That's interesting. Um, I know I'll say a, a real quick, sorry to interrupt. I'll back off the humbling comment, but I do think it's at least a touchdown. Yeah, I think I'm also buying into that uh, narrative. Wake Forest hasn't super impressed me in their uh, recent games, so I do think I'm going to go with Adam here. I'm going to go with Wake Forest. Um, I think this is... Because you can view this one two ways. You can view it as Vegas knows something. Why is a team who's unranked favored by 4.5 against a top-10 team? I'm viewing it more so as just there's still a lot of... Because part of betting lines as well isn't just a pure indication of this team is that much better than the other team. Part of it as well is what can we get that's going to be the most even money. There still is a lot of betting respect for Clemson. There still is not a lot of betting respect for Wake Forest. Clemson's offense has been very bad. Um, So far this year, they're... Their leading rusher still has not amassed 500 yards. Their leading passer still has not amassed 1,800 passing yards. Uh, Right now, they are 100th in passing yards per game, 81st in rushing yards per game. They're only averaging 24 points per game this season. Whereas with Wake Forest, they have this weird mesh read offense where they keep it in the running back's hands for like way too long. They're ninth in the country in points per game. Now, the flip side to this is Clemson's defense has been a top five unit in college football. Wake Forest defense has been a lot easier to get through. So it kind of is strength versus strength, weakness versus weakness. I just, I don't see Clemson being able to put enough points because here's the thing. Even if Wake Forest's offense that's been so good is slowed down by a really good Clemson defense, the least amount of points that Wake Forest has scored in a game this season is 35. Even if they get below that, even if they get held to 28 points, I'm not sure Clemson can score 28 points. That's how dire it's been for offense for them. I'm taking Wake Forest in the win. I'm taking Wake Forest easily with the four and a half. Iowa State is at number 13, Oklahoma. The Sooners are giving up three and a half. Um, Well, as we heard from um, the Yokels in Lubbock last Saturday, the Big 12 apparently is in it for Iowa State because we all know the metropolis of Ames, Iowa. You need to get a national title up to a market like that. Even though they had three Um, losses at the time. But uh, in spite of that, I'm going with the Sooners. Mm. 
I don't know, man. Uh, sometimes the Sooners just have weird, disappointing performances. I think you would categorize their performance against KU as disappointing. I think you would categorize their performance against K-State as disappointing. I think that they're in line for another disappointing performance. So I'm going to go Iowa State. Yeah, this this feels like the, the turning, I guess, moment for me for Oklahoma. We've seen teams who look like this before, and then the balloon kind of pops. They finally get upset when it feels like they should have been upset so many times before. And it goes one of two ways. It's either like this is a reset moment where they figure it out from here, and then they'll roll to the finish line. They'll beat Iowa State. They'll beat Oklahoma State. They'll win the Big 12 title game, and maybe they'll be in the college football playoff. Or it'll go the other way, and it's like that'll be the first of many for it to come like that was the case for Clemson this year when they lost to Georgia it kind of took the air out of the uh, out of the sails um both these teams have kind of been disappointing to what you thought they were going to be which is weird to say about Oklahoma's one loss team because again they could still very easily make the college football playoff but Iowa State has played Oklahoma close in recent memory last year it was a touchdown game in the Big 12 title game. Iowa State won the regular season meeting. Uh, game before that, Oklahoma won by a point. You had Iowa State winning the matchup in 2017. I think Iowa State can keep it close. I, I like Oklahoma to win the game, but they've just been kind of disappointing, and I don't think that's all of a sudden going to change. I'll take the Cyclones in this one to at least keep it close. Number 21, Arkansas, is at number 2, Alabama. The Here's another big line between uh, ranked teams. Crimson Tide are favored by 20 and a half. I'm I'm not high on Alabama this year. Um, well, by Alabama standards, that is to say, I'm not even sure they'll make the playoff because I think if they if they do get around to playing Georgia in the SEC title game, I think Georgia's going to get them, um, and that'll be two losses. Now they they still could sneak in with two losses, but point is, I don't see Alabama as a national title true national title contender this year. That said, I think. Um, the shine has kind of worn off the hogs a little bit from what they were earlier this year. I still think they're a fine team. Um, I don't like this line because I, I think Arkansas is very capable of keeping it close. Um, but I also think they're trending in a, in a pretty bad direction. So give me Alabama, but I don't like it. What would you say that spread was, 22? 20 and a half. 20 and a half. Whew. Um, yeah, as Adam said, you know, the – Arkansas is not incompetent, so it feels and and Alabama is not the powerhouse that they were a couple years ago. So it feels weird to have such a wide line on what on face value seems like a not terribly lopsided game to me. I think I'm going to go Arkansas. I think Alabama is going to win, but I think I'm going to go Arkansas to cover. I've gone back and forth on this one so many times. This is like. To me, I think the hardest uh, line of the weekend. Alabama. Glad you picked it, then, Derek. <laughs> well, it's just the, we're just trying to pick like the five best games. Um, I don't know. Uh, Alabama is still like. All right, I'm gonna go with Alabama. I was about to change over to Arkansas. Uh, the fact that I I don't know. I don't really have an explanation for this. I'm just flipping a coin on this one, to be completely honest. There is a part of me that's afraid that because Alabama is playing Auburn next week, it could be kind of like a look-ahead game before your rival, and that would make me think Arkansas. I just, I have trouble seeing Arkansas scoring too many points. I I think this game ends up close to the line, whatever it is, like 38-17, and then I'll just take Alabama, like I said, coin flip. Number three, Oregon, at number 23, Utah. The Utes are the favorites. They're giving up three points. Um... 
I got to admit, I don't know much about either of those teams. I know more about Oregon than I do about um, about Utah. However, I also know Oregon has had a, a rough patch with some lesser opponents this year. They're trying. I mean, they're 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 hanging on by their fingernails into that top four, man. Um, but I may I I just say this is a Vegas know something line and, and take Utah. But I I don't I don't pl- I don't um, claim to know much about either of these squads. Truthfully, the only Utes game I've watched all year is the Holy War, mm. and that I don't believe went too well for them. No, it did not. They lost to BYU. Yeah. Uh, should I base my decision entirely off a Week Three game? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, I've I've found Utah is a it should be a great model for what KU football should should look at. A consistent top twenty-five, um, a, a, you know, stadium with about fifty thousand people. That when they're rolling, they can get a lot of people in, but never going to really, you know, hit after a national title. Anyway, sorry, that was a random thought, but it's an interesting thought. But they don't have booze at their stadium, which makes it much lamer than ours. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go with Oregon here. Yeah, mm, Oregon just released their uh, uniforms. They're looking pretty fly. Oh wow, are they just like super weird and no one will know what's up with them? Again? No, they actually. It looks like a mix of um, the like Chip Kelly years with the helmets, but then the the shoulder pad area looks like the Dennis Dixon years. So I'm all aboard that, but I'm going to take Utah. Vegas knows something here. I uh, um, I actually on a side on another side note, uh, my mind goes all sorts of places on Fridays. I kind of I like the Daffy or the Donald Duck logo a little bit more. Than oh, the, I like the that o. thing too. I like that a little more than the O. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'll go with Utah. They made a quarterback switch since the Holy War, and uh, Cameron Rising. He's he's been. Does that change your pick at all? You lose no. to a okay. heap of Mormons. They <laughs> um, bench you. Yeah, right. Um, so I'll go with Utah. They're starting to figure things out. This feels like a revenge game for a couple years ago. Utah was playing in the Pac-12 championship against Justin Herbert in Oregon. And Oregon had two losses at the time. They weren't going to make the playoff. I think they ended up fifth in the final college football playoff rankings. Maybe they're sixth. Utah had one loss. And Utah would have gone to the college football playoff. They were, I think, going in number three or number four, headed into that game. And they got crushed by by Oregon. I think this might be a little revenge here. Um, so I'll take the Utes in this one. My locks of the week, eight and three on the year. I'm going to double barrel this week for my lock of the week becoming locks of the week. First up, Virginia plus 14 and a half. They're playing Pittsburgh. Part of the reason this line's so big, people really like Kenny Pickett, the quarterback for Pittsburgh. Brennan Armstrong is one of the best quarterbacks in college football for Virginia. He missed last week against Notre Dame. I think he's going to be back. If he's not back, then I'm screwed on this line. I'm just taking the risk with it because if he is, this is a much closer game than 14 and a half. The other one that I really like. Sorry, but... uh Armstrong, great name for a quarterback. Absolutely. Pick it. Not a good <laughs> name for a quarterback. Yeah, that alone should be enough to make it a lock of the week. Uh, Nebraska, plus nine, at number 15, Wisconsin. Here are Nebraska's losses this season, because right now, Nebraska is sitting at three and seven. So you might sit there and say, why are you taking Nebraska only getting nine points against a rolling Wisconsin team? Well, here are those seven losses. By eight points, seven points, three points, three points, seven points, five points, nine points. And that includes Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Oklahoma as four of the teams they've lost to. I don't think Nebraska wins this game, but clearly they have shown they have an affinity for playing close games. So give me Nebraska plus nine against number 15, Wisconsin. Those are my two locks of the week. On to the NFL. Adam, you are 20 and 14 on the year. 
You are three and two in the NFL last week, or you were. Cole, you're 24 and 20 in the NFL, but one and four last week. I'm 30 and 19. I went two and three last week. Indianapolis is at Buffalo. The Bills are giving up seven points. Ooh, um, the Colts are sneaky. Tell you what, they they look. They're a team that I think once if they get to the playoffs, they're not good enough to win. A, a, you know, enough games in a row against playoff teams to um, to win a Super Bowl. But they're I don't want to see them. Um, well, that's just the I, Chiefs thing. You yeah. never want to see the Colts in the well, playoffs. Well, okay, good point. Yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah. Um, I guess give me the Bills. I, I could see them pulling away by uh, 10 or 14. I haven't loved how the Bills' offensive line looks, and I think that you need a good offensive line to deal with Indianapolis. Uh, DeForest Buckner is still one of the uh, best defensive players in the league. Uh, I'm going to stand by that until he retires, hopefully. But uh, So I think I'm going to go with the Colts here. Yeah, I think seven's too much. Uh, Indianapolis physical team, I think they have enough on the defensive side of the ball to keep it close. And then Carson Wentz will inevitably make a really stupid pass and the Bills will win the game, but it'll be a close game. Green Bay, minus one at Minnesota. Uh, oh, Packers, I think they win. And you give me a, I mean, I know they're laying the point, but yeah, I think Basically they win. So, yeah. yeah. That's insane. I think Minnesota is like some people really like Minnesota. They're like, oh, look at their point differential. I don't, I don't give a, <laughs> a, a single. Uh, you don't you know, care is what you're trying yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, about their point differential. Uh, thank you for catching him before he said something. Oh, I wasn't. mean, I was catching myself. <laughs> the dump button is ready to roll. Right there, uh, I've got it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can't believe we're in a situation where people are really giving the Packers a point and taking the Packers. Yeah, I mean, this is what you're alluding to with the Vikings. Um, lost to three against the Bengals in overtime, lost by one on a missed field goal against the Cardinals, lost by seven to the Browns, lost by four to the Cowboys, lost by three at Baltimore in overtime as well. So, I mean, they very clearly, you know, one or two of those things goes the other way. They have a winning record. They're looked at as a playoff team. So I get that. They're probably better than their record. But are they better than the Packers? No. Am I going to trust Kirk Cousins in a big game? No. You don't like that? No, not at all. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> All right, I got Green Bay. Uh, Cincinnati is giving up a point. This is a, basically another pick. I'm at Las Vegas. Sticking with the Vegas. Uh, the Vegas. <laughs> the Vegas Raiders. Darth Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking with the uh, the Raiders are, are really in collapse mode. Uh, Bengals. Yeah, no, uh, I'm going with the Bengals here. I think the Bengals are also kind of collapsing, but not as bad. It's like a two houses racing yeah. to become rubble. Right. <laughs> and I think Cincinnati's just going to stand standing a little bit longer. That's my issue because I'm actually starting to get on board with your Vegas is crumbling. But like Cole said, Cincinnati's crumbling too. So it's like, who do I go with? Um, it's what, What's the alternative to the uh, immovable force versus the... Unstoppable, unstoppable, immovable, immovable, there we go. Uh, unstoppable, unstoppable force, force for the immovable object. It's like the opposite of that. Um, <laughs> the I guess I'll go Las Vegas. Soft turd versus the softer <laughs> yeah, turd. Yeah, exactly. So I'll just go Las Vegas through the home team. Uh, this is like the, the Arkansas-Alabama game to me. I don't really have rhyme or reason. I'm just, you know, flip a coin, deal with it. Uh, Dallas at Kansas City. The Chiefs are giving up two and a half. Uh, I'm, I mean, I can... I can see myself being really mad on Sunday <laughs> night, but I, I, I just I like the direction the Chiefs are going, and I, I you know, I think better coach. Um, so give me the Chiefs. You know, Derek, I get annoyed when you put the Chiefs on these pickups because I feel like <laughs> I feel like 
sometimes I want to really logically play this out, but then you say Chiefs, and I, and I get really emotional about it. I'm like, I can't say the Chiefs are going to lose. That's sort of like jinxing them. Uh, <laughs> I am going to go with the Chiefs here, but I don't appreciate what you're doing. By the way, would you guys touch – I'll get to my pick in a second. The over-under is 56.5. Would you play that? Over. Yeah? Um, a lot of points. Yeah. 31-28, you're there, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, – Yeah, I, pr- I probably would. This would, is going to be like if, that if, Saints. If you force me, if you force me to take one side of that, I'd take the over. Yeah, I think it's pretty perfect where it is, though. This is going to be like that Saints 49ers game from a couple years ago, where it was like 51-48. That's what it's going to be like. Mm. See, but that's that's like the common thought. I've had this thought so many times with the Chiefs this year because the defense struggled early on. All it takes is the Chiefs defense to have one of those like good games. They force three turnovers, and then you know it's twenty four seventeen like the Packers game. So uh, I, I'm going to go Dallas overall, though. I just I thought Dallas's offense is so good that they're going to win the game. All right, last one. Pittsburgh is at the L.A. Chargers. L.A. has given up six points. Um, Pittsburgh Chargers. Um, L.A.'s given up how many? Six. Give me the uh, give me the Chargers. Six, They'll win by a touchdown. Yeah, big question mark here. You know, are the Steelers actually just the worst team ever, or are they? Uh, you know going to be angry about how they performed against the Lions. I think that's the big question. I think I'm going to go with the uh, let's go with the Steelers. I'm going to predict another ugly, ugly game and the Steelers are going to, at the very least, stay within seven. Yeah, I'll take the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers getting the six points. I I think the fact that their defense can hang them around in this game is enough for me. Um, I think the Chargers win, but give me the Steelers. That is our game picks with Adam Dravetta, Colsey Debutar, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, going to join us next. Talk a little KU football, a little KU basketball with Brian. Two hours down, one to go. This is our 5 o'clock hour with Adam Dravetta, Colsey Debutar. I'm Derek Johnson on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Uh, we'll start with some basketball, which just happened last night. KU down Stony Brook by 29 points. Um, I, I was kind of thinking about how, you know, you think back to, like, for instance, the 2017 team. There have been other teams like this for KU where you have kind of a, a team that can quickly put an avalanche of a run on you where, you know, maybe it just comes down to one five-minute stretch and then they just got hot. Um but this team feels more like a, a, I guess, like a crock potting where it's like a, a slow roast of another team. Because I guess outside of that flurry of, of those, I don't know, three or four possessions where you hit threes with Zach Clements kind of leading the way, I, I feel like early on in this season, like this just feels like a team that is overwhelming opponents, not in like this flashy one big run sense, but it's just kind of that slow roast. And then you look up at the scoreboard at the end of the game and, oh, they won big again. Yeah, I love that phrasing. I think rock, chalk, crock pot needs <laughs> to be worked into the next broadcast. Put it on a T-shirt. I like where your head's at. Mm-hmm. And clearly you're a young married guy whose wife is now experimenting <laughs> with crock pots and slow roast because you're taking these great metaphors from right. home bringing them back. But uh, no, I, I totally get your point. And it, it's one of those things, and it may not be this way once we get into league play, but certainly right now, the depth on this team just gradually wears you down, and eventually the dam breaks. And that's that's the metaphor I used last night, the second half, when, when they finally kind of broke their backs. And we saw the same thing versus Tarleton State, where just eventually, over time, you know, the team's playing eight, nine-man rotations against KU's 
12 men that are all, you know, top 100 caliber players, in many cases, top 50 caliber players. Eventually, the cream rises to the top. Eventually, the other team's legs get tired. And next thing you know, you look up and we're up 20 in what felt like a three possession game five minutes earlier. And so I know exactly what you're referring to. And, and yeah, it's, it's exciting to see it. And, you know, the best news is. Remy Martin really hasn't gotten going yet. Jalen Wilson hasn't played yet. I think Jalen's our third best player. And so this team, as, as good as they've looked, hasn't even begun to scratch the surface of its potential. And obviously, Ochai Abaji looks like an All-American three games in. So we'll see how sustainable that proves to be. But he's off to a tremendous start. And, you know, Just wait for those other guys to get going. Cause then your crock pot is going to turn into a hibachi grill where the flames <laughs> shoot straight up. You know, and like singe your eyebrows. So you're going to be calling the Hibachi Hawks here before it's all said and done. Love it. We need to figure out what player would be the equivalent of the, uh, what, Onion Volcano or something like that. Uh, Maybe it'll be (laughs) Jalen Wilson coming back uh, next game against North Texas in Orlando. I I thought it's been really interesting that that Bill Self has, even despite all this, like you, you would think that, you know, we've always heard about the Bill Self doghouse, and you would think that maybe this whole situation would be something that, typically could could kind of put a player in that light, but it doesn't seem like that's happening at all. And and he's had a lot of glowing things to to say about Jalen. And and I don't want to set the expectation too high or anything, but part of me is just wondering if like he might end up being one of the two best players on the team. It's hard to say the best because you have Ochag Baji just who basically is that Hibachi girl right now. But um I wonder if Jalen Wilson could end up being the second best player on the team. And if he is uh, we've already seen this team look pretty darn good through three games. Imagine if you're adding now what would be the second-best player on the team, how good this team could be. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, he's the second-best pro prospect yeah. on the team. We know that. Uh, I always have been saying third-best player because, of course, we know Remy Martin is capable of so much more than what we've seen to this point. But, yeah, uh, that is going to add a lot once he's back in the mix. And to hear Coach Self talk about how they're going to be more explosive and play faster when they add in a 6'8 guy, you just don't expect to hear that when 6'8 comes in in place of 6'1 and you somehow are going to go faster. But that speaks to his explosiveness, how much he can quickly transition this team from defense to offense with his eight-rebound-per-game prowess, but then his athleticism to turn and jumpstart transition mode quickly himself you know, or with his teammates. So that's, that's really exciting. And I think uh, you know, it's obvious Self loves this team already. And, and they've got all the key pieces. They've got the emotional, mental makeup. They've got the personality guy in, in Remy that the coach says the team has lacked since Devontae. And once they finally get whole next week to kind of see what they, they look like, once they get healthy with Remy's you know, little tweak last night, it's, it's going to be fun to start to dare to dream just how good they might actually be. And if we get a taste of that in maybe a, a hypothetical you know, Sunday matchup in Orlando with 13th-ranked Alabama, uh, which obviously would be a, a tougher test than what we saw in the Garden, maybe you need to see how handles that. So I'm excited. Uh, and then obviously the, it just gets better and better from there as we start to get into weekly opponents that are uh, on par with, with what we come to expect in the throes of what's going to be a really competitive league race. We're talking with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. So you'll be, hear him on the call of all those games next week, but also hear him on the call tomorrow. KU taking on TCU pregame at one thirty, kickoff at 3 o'clock right here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS. Uh, last week with KU taking down the Longhorns, uh, was there one thing that you could pinpoint that you were most impressed with uh, about Jalen Daniels and his performance? Jalen just 
you know, we've always known he was a personality. We've always known that he kind of had that swagger and, and more charisma than any quarterback in the room. But when you see how that translates to a calm, confident, in-command type presence on the field, that's when you realize, wow, you know, this kid really does have what they call the it factor. And Lance Leipold described it in the Tuesday press conference, and he kind of acted it out, which was interesting to see Coach uh, acting as he, as he tried to step up to the podium with both arms stretched wide and, and, and surveyed the defense like Jalen did and, and calmed down you know, his units and, and just kind of gave you that demonstrative look of, of a quarterback who was in command of the huddle he was clearly, you know, in the moment with the stage not too big, the lights not too bright, showing that poise, confidence, and maturity for a kid that a year ago, you know, was making a start as a 17-year-old down in Waco to see how far he's come a year later. Uh, and, and really, with not a whole lot of starting experience in between, it just shows how much he's grown up, and it shows when you've got that natural leadership and that natural charisma and confidence about you, that uh, you can get the other 10 guys to fall in line pretty quickly and, and uh, climb on your back. And I think the difference is, you know, he's, he's always had that, but he's now maybe even more in control and command of that. And suddenly we saw him making throws that he wasn't making at any point last year. That 26-yard pass down the right sideline, right on the money to Kwame Lasseter, that was so impressive. And it was the type of throw that when you saw him sling it around last year, you thought, well, He's got a cannon on his right shoulder. He's going to have the zip on the passes that some of our previous previous quarterbacks never did. But is he ever going to be able to do it with any kind of accuracy? Because it, it seemed like it was all over the place. He was putting dimes out there for his Kansas receivers the other night, and uh, you know, excellent completion percentage numbers, excellent QB rating, and we'll see you know how sustainable that is week in and week out. But if he can harness that tremendous. Their natural arm strength, and then continue to have his teammates feed off of his tremendous natural leadership. Those are two intangibles that, that you can't coach up. You either have it or you don't. The other stuff, I think, comes with time and experience. But we saw his two best attributes on display with now more accuracy than ever before, and that can't help but get you excited. So they are fired up, and, and they're feeling like, while certainly Texas is a game we'll always cherish, it's, it's not – doesn't have to be your high water mark or, or it doesn't have to end there. You got two more chances to make the narrative on this season that not only did we beat Texas, but we closed out the year on an upswing in the final month as a whole. And whether that means winning one of the last two games or both of them, that's what these guys are out to do. It's exciting to see that type of determination. And I'm telling you, it's a spirited group. They're ready to get after it. We're joined by Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. TCU defensively has kind of struggled this year, which which feels weird to say, but they've put together a very balanced offense that's been, you know, rolling through different points. Uh, what do you view as being the big key for KU trying to, I guess, pull off another stunner in the Lone Star State? You know, it, it sounds like something that you've heard Lance Leipold say 10 times in every pregame chat, but uh, it really is true. This team gets off to a fast start, and we're not playing from – two, three scores back, it's amazing how that momentum starts to build. And, I mean, just look at last week. You know, the offense marches down the field with a you know, double-digit play, 75-yard drive with almost perfect rush and pass balance. Jalen Daniels, 
38 total yards rushing and, and, and throwing. Um, saw 37 out of Devin Neal, same drive. And then the defense comes out of the field and immediately gets a, a forced fumble strip sack from Kyron Johnson. And then you cash in on that. They're just feeding off each other and back and forth we go. Obviously, Texas got it going eventually offensively, but the defense continued in the takeaway game to make plays, and, and the defense was well-rested because the offense is sustaining a lot of drives. and it, it just It's one of those deals where you feed off of each other, and it all starts with getting off to a good start, whether you're defensively forcing a three and out and getting the, the offense on the field quickly or the offense taking the ball first and marching down and scoring. But when you play that complementary football, it's amazing how much better your chances are. Uh, and we've seen Kansas in a couple of games do that from the word go, and those were our most exciting games of the season. You think back to the days where it went awry, and those were the days when you had a quick three and out, a punt, defense comes on the field, deep in their own territory, uh, or a turnover that puts them on the field on their own side of the field, and, and, and that's when it started to snowball. So it may sound like really elementary kindergarten-level stuff, but a faster start with good complementary football. And personnel-wise, you can absolutely hang with this TCU team. They're pretty beat up. They've, they've got a lot of guys that are questionable or doubtful. And I think this Kansas team, with the extra confidence and momentum they're playing with right now, feels like they belong on the same field. And so even though oddsmakers would tell you it's another you know, heavy underdog situation, um, I, I think that you know Kansas feels like this is another even-up game in the league. And if they can go toe-to-toe with Oklahoma and Texas, they feel like they can beat anybody. And so that's the mindset of this team heading in, and I think that's the mindset the fan base should have that on any given Saturday right now, these last couple of weeks, uh, the Hawks, you know, if they, they do some of those fundamental things we just discussed, certainly can beat TCU or West Virginia, and maybe just maybe even both. You'll be heavy underdogs in both games, but, um, you know, I, I don't think it has to end with last week's win. I think you could tack on one more. And the belief in the locker room right now that that's a possibility is 100% unanimous. I promise you that. He's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Brian, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Brian, one last thing. I'm curious. Uh, in your time in Lubbock, when the Red Raiders were playing against the Jayhawks, did you ever have a difficult time not calling Kansas we, even though at the time you were broadcasting for the other guys? <laughs> yeah, you know, I never did struggle with that, but I always got grief from Texas Tech fans uh, about who I was really cheering for and that kind of thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, people in our industry will say they're loyal to the paycheck, and I've never liked that. Uh, you know, loyal to who signs the check is what they're implying. I would always say I'm I'm loyal to to the people, you know, the people I work with, the kids I'm having a chance to cover, and so, uh, you know, Texas Tech was always we when I was down there for those four years. But it's funny, my signature phrase whenever we won was "guns up, horns down, guns up, wildcats down, guns up, bears down," and never got to say it in basketball head-to-head Texas Tech and Kansas. Mm. Got to say it a couple times in baseball, and and they would always get on me and say, are you going to be able to say it when we win <laughs> today? Are you going to say guns up, Jayhawks down? You know, and, and it's so funny. And I, I remember being in, uh, in Lawrence my first year. Billy Gillespie had left. Uh, it, it was kind of a, a preseason player mutiny situation and, and he had some health concerns that took him to the Mayo Clinic and he ends up uh, parting ways with Texas Tech and we had an interim coach named Chris Walker 
And Chris was a good guy. He liked me, but he also liked to give me crap. Kind of like Coach Self. If he gives you a little bit of grief, you know he likes you. <laughs> so we are in Lawrence, and Chris Walker buys a Jayhawk pen off of some student that was drinking at the Oread in the Bird Dog Bar, gives him five bucks for the Jayhawk pen, and then makes a big scene to pin it on me in front of the whole team Excellent. the next day. And I'm like, I'm trying to win these guys over, and you're giving me crap for that. <laughs> uh, so, so believe me, Adam, I had to deal with my share of that. But uh, And now I, you I know get Texas, to say rock chalk it up. That's right, baby. That's right, baby. And I know Texas Tech announcers have been in the news this week for reasons they wish they weren't. But uh, good people down there, and, and uh, wish those guys nothing but the best. And, yeah, some fond memories, but I, I never had to say in basketball, guns up, Jayhawks down. Thank you. <laughs> Thank well, heavens. Yeah, that is the voice of Jayhawks. Thanks, Brian. Well, thank you, guys. And also thanks to my buddy Nate Miller and the Miller Retirement Group. Just like the Hawks need to plan for the next game, you need a game plan for retirement. To start, you can call my buddy Nate at the Miller Retirement Group today. That's 844-401-4012. 844-401-4012. Thanks a lot, fellas, and have a great weekend. All right, that was Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Cole C. DeButar, Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.